0: On this week's episode of the Green Door Podcast, we discuss Chapter 10 of the Sindar, a chapter about making friends and some weapons. We acknowledge the beautiful power of forgetting. Or or did we? I can't quite remember. We contemplate the value of elvish pearls of wisdom. We touch on the idea that keeping a written history is almost unnecessary for a race that lives forever. And we wonder if life is meant to be lived for self or for others. All this and much, much more. So come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you at the Green Door Podcast. There you are. Hey, come on in, buddy. Hey, James. Good day. Good day. Lovely walkover. Beautiful weather. Sun is shining. Birds are singing. Um, very excited. Uh, chapter 10 we're doing tonight of the Sindar.
1: Yes, uh, a long time coming, Ads, and I'm uh, really happy to dive into it with you. Uh, it doesn't look like May will be here with us at the very beginning. However, no. there is an off chance that she'll uh, join us a little later on. So uh, hopefully we can hear from May later. But for now, it'll be just me and you. Looking forward to it, May. Looking forward to it. It's been a while. It has. Um, but the beauty of podcasting is uh, this episode will stack up right against uh, the one before and after it <laughs> uh, and be two clicks away for listeners in uh, no time at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, how are you? Are you well? I'm very well, uh, I've kept very busy, we talked a little bit about it moments ago, but uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of summer activity with the three kids, three, five and seven, so that's the age where they do everything.
0: No, I, I, can't, I can't, um, can't say anything different, three, six and nine and uh, I'm out most days, evenings doing something with one of them.
1: Yeah, it's fun, great fun, but very, very exhausting, right Ed? Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. So, what do you think
0: about this chapter?
1: Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to recap it in a similar way as I did earlier. I'm going to say to me, this chapter is, is, uh, interesting and there's, a, there's quite a few shouts, which we'll mention. You probably have them in your notes as well. Yeah. We didn't do spoilers with notes this week. So, um, if history is a teacher, you and I have exactly the same things written down in the exact same order. Um, but we'll see what happens. Same page as always. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of shouts. So to me, this chapter uh, of the Sindar, uh, coming off a really heavy and big and and powerful chapter uh, that we did, uh, chapter nine, learning all about uh, Feanor and his oath and and uh, a whole bunch of terrible and amazing events, the felling of the great trees. Yeah, um, this chapter is more of like a little break and a, and a setting of the table, a setting of the stage in my mind.
0: Yeah, it's kind of what's what's been going on whilst we've been hearing about you know the the activities of, of Feanor, as as you say this is sort of what's what's been going on back in middle earth uh, and ties it all up nicely um by the end of this chapter on the same sort of um time frame as as some of the other characters we've already discussed
1: right exactly i think this is like um like uh, the co-stars of the movie they're like they get second billing this is the second storyline while while that was happening you know, we'll yeah. show you this. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, and it's it's got a few shouts to the stories we know. Indeed. And Kasek Doom, Moria, um, Mithril. And I. Uh, there's, yeah, there's some good stuff in there. And it's it's sort of just, uh, as I said to you a few minutes ago, it's like, okay, the Sindar, here's what you need to know. The guys who stayed behind um, all liked Thingol, who was, you know, really, really badass with Melian, the Maya. Like, that union was made him top dog. <laughs> And the rest of the chapter goes like this. They made friends with these people, and they taught them how to make these weapons. Then they made <laughs> friends with these people, and then together they made these weapons. <laughs> and then they made more friends, and then they made more weapons. So by the end of the chapter, you're like, Ooh! they got a lot of friends and weapons. Big pile. Sounds like there might be a fight coming. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a fair point. I, mean, I, I hadn't thought of it like that until about five minutes ago, and... Uh, it's very true, you know, it's, it's a big pile of weapons by the end of it, and you do get uh, quite a few
1: pointers as to things that are about to happen. Right, and they even, even make mention, uh, which I think is almost, I don't know, I know if it's cheeky or if it's like too on the nose, but they make mention that the, the weapons, like, don't go bad. They don't rust or tarnish or, no. you know. It's almost like he, he forced the author uh, or the narrator foresaw a criticism, You know of the story. Yeah, but weren't those weapons sitting around for like 500 years? Uh, You know, as one of the listeners might like pipe in as he was listening. So it's like preemptive, uh, preemptive, like uh, you know, commentary.
0: Yeah, I I like how the weapons. You say that. You know, they don't. They don't rust. Um, They very much mirror their owners, don't they? You know, the elves live on and live on and stay as youthful as ever, and the weapons kind of
1: do similar. Well, Ads, that's... Yeah, no, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. I like doing the show with you because we do that a lot. Yeah. You make me me see things. And we're going to jump around. This is going to be sort of uh, a very loose-off-the-cuff episode. Ads and I were determined to record it uh, no matter what, and we had the Hobbit hole to ourselves tonight. Indeed. Uh, So we we said we were going to. But as we jump around here, you just reminded me, Ads, of a note I made as I read the chapter. Okay. uh, When it talks about uh, runes, and it talks about the idea that... um, Basically, the elves didn't really see the value in runes in keeping, in keeping history, written history, until war. Because, like, you know, what do you have to write things down for if you live forever, right? Yeah, no,
0: fair, fair point. I mean, I, I love, as no doubt we'll touch later on, how, how the dwarves play such a massive part in this chapter. Um, not least, you know, the spreading of... Uh, is it... How do you, how you pronounce it? Is, it? is it the Kurth? You're asking the wrong guy. I think so. I know it's spelled C-I-R-T-H. I think it's Kirth. Yes. Um, but, you know, the dwarves are the ones that sort of help connect to the other races and help connect through, you know, through this language, um, you know, the other parts of Middle-earth. A nice idea, really, that these, you know, little uh, sort of rough-and-ready whole dwellers, I suppose, are the ones that actually allow for um you know this this great idea of the elves to actually take take flight. I am um, I love the fact that when we do hear about the dwarfs, they are already <laughs> very, very established in Middle earth. You know, they they've obviously been there for quite a while, unbeknownst to the elves who obviously haven't done their their Um, scouting very well, you know, they haven't Mm -hmm. explored too far out of uh, Beleriand and, um, you know, these great dwarven cities are already there and it's actually the dwarves that come to find the elves rather than the elves discovering them.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Again, like, are they... What does that say about the elves? That they are self-satisfied? That they, you know, they don't need to go exploring? I don't know.
0: Yeah, i mean, uh, um, it, it, obviously they help I, mean, I am jumping ahead here but they help to uh, build Menegroth, don't they, for for Thingol. And um I have a note here that says uh, dwarven substance versus elven aesthetics. You know, so you know they they're very much oh, responsible I love for that. the yeah, they're responsible for the the actual structure itself, but it's the elves that
1: then make it look pretty. Um yeah the bones versus the makeup
0: yeah yeah
1: exactly um and you need both i mean in the end or not you need both they're both have value and and when they work together and and there's a direct line in the in this chapter about it, but when they work together, when you put those things, you know solid bones with you know beautiful detail yeah you get you know even even better creations right yeah totally totally well
0: i mean you know we've said before, haven't we, on previous previous episodes that you know, you can have something beautiful that actually becomes more beautiful by, you know, Melkor's influence,
1: etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So almost always, yeah, everything he does, you know, makes things better. Yeah, and a, a little bit of dwarf uh, or a little bit of elf on on top of whatever they've created you know, can help to create something just as special but different. Huh, I feel like we're gonna hear Mambo Number Five in the background at some point, right <laughs> yeah. around now.
0: the uh, car so come
1: on let's ride to the awesome man you know what I, I just want to interject quickly here ads and say sitting here in the hobbit hole and doing this again after what was a, a bit of a break is really awesome and i'd forgotten just how much fun it is so I'm, I'm glad we made the time to do it tonight buddy yeah
0: definitely and i i would absolutely second that i think it's been it's been too long coming and um there's been very good reasons as to why we haven't been able to but um we damn well made sure we were going to do it tonight and uh you know we we kind of put our foot down and and we're here and i'm very very happy
1: yeah me too and uh to all the listeners who um if your ears were burning or ringing or whatever the the um <laughs> custom says the old wise tale or whatever the uh, pc thing to say is if your ears were burning we were talking about all the great uh members of the community we have who have sort of Hung out as we were uh, dead air uh, with long intervals between shows. We're not going to dwell on that fact tonight, but uh, we just really like the community we built, and um, so yeah, we're going to we're going to plug along. And like any old friends, um, whenever it is you get together with them, it's always fun, and it's always been too long since the last time. So uh, yeah, really fun tonight. It has, Let's and, keep at it.
0: Yeah, and, and James, I'm, obviously you can take this out if, if need be, but um, nope. I I think you know we have. We have sort of had a little brief chat, haven't we? And I think we're going to try and find ways of being able to chuck out episodes a little bit quicker. Um, so you yes. know, we are looking at ways of of finding the time, maybe slightly smaller episodes, uh, maybe slightly less polished, but ways of of chucking something out so that you can actually hear more of us, you know, more regularly.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to be a lot more um, Sam Gamgee in our episode uh, styling like than, uh, yeah. than we are um, Thingol. Uh, we were too <laughs> polished, maybe.
0: Yeah. That's
1: uh, it just took image. us too long. And you're right, we'll, we'll make it a retooling announcement ads, but it's a good thing to bring up. And as we plug along through this episode, this one probably will sound a lot like the old ones. And then we'll, um, we'll figure out how to proceed to make sure we can get a- enough episodes out there um, to keep people engaged, because we really do have a fun time interacting, and with no episodes, there was little less interaction, and that, that was the part that sucked. Yeah, definitely, right. definitely. Let's let's, yes. uh, let, let's keep talking about Chapter Ten. Okay, so
0: um, we learn really about well Thingol and Melian and the the area of Middle Earth called Beleriand that they effectively sort of take charge of, that they rule under. And um, we also learn of the birth of someone quite special, James.
1: Yeah, under, under the stars, uh, the most... And here's the thing, and, and Jeff LaSala, shout out, uh, mentioned this recently online in one of his articles, but uh, he, he does, or one of his comments maybe too, he does like it when uh, the, the professor uses words like uh, most and greatest uh, because <laughs> he tends to say them about different people uh, in the same... You know, in the same category. So uh, most beautiful is a term we've heard before, but uh, she's supposed to be the fairest and most beautiful uh, sort of creature ever to be born under starlight. And uh, Luthien is a very super uh, important character, uber important character uh, for the unfolding of the Silmarillion. Um, and, to- and the- totally. Yeah. And what, what amazing imagery in that at the very end
0: of, of, of that paragraph where it describes... Uh, the white flowers
1: of mm-hmm. come came forth to greet her as stars from the earth. I think that shout is given in Lord of the Rings movies, isn't it? Those white flowers that are growing on the tombs.
0: They of, are, aren't they?
1: I think I, I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. But I think that might be a shout to that same uh, imagery. Uh, no, I was absolutely wrong, as usual, or as often. Uh, but the white flowers that I referred to just now um, in the movies, the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, are actually simbelmine. And simbelmine was a small white flower that grew uh, in particular abundance on graves and tombs like the barrowfield of the kings of Rohan uh, beneath the walls of Edoras. Uh So those are different white flowers than the ones... Um, referred to when a Luthien uh, is born. However, I did a little research after we uh, recorded this episode only to discover something kind of cool, which I thought I would share. So at the end of this chapter of the Sindar, uh, excuse me, at the end of the first paragraph, uh, right at the very end it reads, And there in the forest of Neldoreth, Luthien was born, and the white flowers of Nifridil came forth to greet her as stars from the earth. Now, as with a lot of things we talk about in these writings, you can interpret that more than one way, but I like to think that those flowers open for the first time when Luthien is born. Um, You could interpret it differently as well, but I like to think that that was the first time they they open uh, to greet her as she is born in Middle-earth, and I especially like to to think that uh, after doing a little reading in the Appendix, Appendix A of Lord of the Rings, uh, which I'm going to share with you now. On page 1038 of my uh, copy, which is a one-volume uh, edition, uh, right at the end of the uh, tale of Aragorn and Arwen, right at the end of that on a page 1038, it reads, And there is her green grave, until the world is changed, and all the days of her life are utterly forgotten by men that come after. And Eleanor and Nipridil bloom no more east of the sea. Here ends this tale, as it has come to us from the south. And with the passing of Evenstar, no more is said in this book of the days of old. So that at the end of the um, life of Arwen... Uh, the niprodil, which I think I went both ways, nifrodil and niprodil, since I don't know how they're pronounced. Um, they cease to bloom uh, when Arwen passes, when Evenstar passes. So I think that's really cool. Uh, that I enjoyed finding that full circle moment. Uh, the idea that those flowers bloom for the first time uh, when Luthien is born and cease to bloom after Arwen dies. I thought that was really cool, so I thought I'd put that in there. Before I throw us back, please, uh, I am aware that I make all kinds of mistakes, so if there's something to add to that, if you knew that already, uh, or if I got it wrong, uh, please chime in and let us know. So let's get back to the uh, conversation. Uh, and, and the whole chapter, like I said, it's light, but it's still really nice to read uh, for reasons like that. Uh, and it also describes, you know, uh, basically what is the, the most amazing um, kingdom, territory, country, land, city, slash dwelling, slash cave, slash place to live. Um, And and it just sounds like something you would just hate to lose in a war or something, right? Totally, totally. (laughs) Uh, And we we get introduced to the idea of um, uh, the girdle of Melian right at the end. Uh, But before we we, uh, get there and talk about the enchantress, slash... Uh, do-gooder of Middle-earth and her girdle. Um, May brought up something interesting in a Facebook and Instagram and maybe Twitter. I lose track because I'm f- 40 ancient and really bad at social media. But uh, <laughs> she brought up the idea that, um, and I- I'm not speaking for her, I'm-, I'm just telling you what my interpretation of her idea was. May, I think you were saying something to the effect that... Um, you thought it was interesting that the dwarves did a lot of work for the elves in building and construction for pearls, mm-hmm. something that seemed to hold great value for the dwarves and had they were abundant to the elves, so held, held little value to the elves. And you were wondering yes. if that was, in a way, uh, you know, a mistreatment or an unfair deal. Um, yeah, I, 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 and I thought it was an interesting point. I never saw it that way specifically, and I don't necessarily... I side with some of the people who... In the Facebook post that I saw, I side with some of the people who uh told a line that that suggested that that wasn't um an unfair trade. But what do you think before I tell you what I think?
0: No, I mean, I remember the post that that May released, and um, yeah, she she was certainly (sighs) making people think as to whether or not the the dwarfs were unfairly rewarded, I suppose. Not slavery, I mean, that, that's that's wrong. But, you know, was, was a few pearls worthwhile for the work that they were actually putting in? And I think it was very much a... ..a agreement that suited both parties. I think what the elves uh, got for the pearls suited them, and I think the dwarves, as we know, love, you know, shiny things, things that glitter... Uh, Sure, and And they they, they were learning as well, weren't they? They were learning um, uh, skills
1: and developing ideas. Yes, I think Tanya said that actually had before. Exactly. I don't know. One one of our great, there are some really great Tolkien minds in our group. Um, We sort of, if you think about it, ads. We should be really chiming in on posts, and like Tanya and Jeff and Pepper, and they should have a podcast. I got equipment, guys. If ever. (laughs) <laughs> if you yeah. want to jump in. Yeah, but, um, seriously. I think, I think Tanya mentioned that, and that was a good point, that they, they were getting more than just pearls. They were getting, like, wisdom and skill. And, they were, and I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that, like, they hate the ocean and feared it, right? So, like, the pearls were, were, sure, they were abundant to the elves who could get them, but, like, they were almost unattainable for the dwarves in a way. Do you know what I mean? So it gave them a value beyond um, their value in, in terms of uniqueness, I think. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. but yeah, so I, I didn't see it as a mistreatment, but may I think and again not speaking for you may and you can correct me anytime I'm wrong, which happens a lot but I think may can't really help but read a story or see a story or watch a movie and apply uh, like an author's lens like she writes and she's smart and she's pretty well read as well, so like I think she can't help but but see certain you know trends and certain uh, things that that um that are easy to see, and for example when when you read that story about the pearls and the when it, you know the mention of the, their their abundance and their lesser value to the to the elves as someone who took a lot of Canadian history, I can easily see parallels between that and the treatment of the Native Americans in what seemed like fair trades at the time, for example, one of the stories to, to, that illustrates the point is is the um the Europeans would trade. A rifle's stack, a rifle's height stack of pelts for a rifle.
0: Okay. So, yeah. like,
1: it, you know, pelts, beaver pelts or skins are like, I don't know, an inch thick. So, if a rifle's uh, 38 inches, then you need, you know, 40 pelts or whatever. So, sure. it, it, it would apparently that, you know, that f- f- trade was pretty unfair in terms of what a, a gun was worth and compared to the time and, and labor put into trapping that many, you know, beaver. All to say that I can see the parallel. You could apply it if, if you look at it the right way. I just don't yeah. think necessarily that's what w- was being said there this time.
0: No, I, mean, I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't yeah. think it was a unfair um, uh, an unfair relationship. I mean, is it a symbiotic relationship they talk about? Yeah,
1: I, I totally you know, really agree. There is kind of Mutually yeah, there,
0: there is something that each party is getting, which is a benefit to them. And actually, it doesn't matter whether <laughs> the other person thinks that they're getting the better deal. It's, you know, it's, it's what works for the individuals.
1: That's true, as long as you feel whole at the end of the yeah. deal. Um, yeah, and also, would I, would say, I would say, um, we need you, May. We always agree on everything. So you've got to come back on the show. We do. Soon.
0: And also, May makes, us, May, May makes us take a totally different stance, doesn't she? She looks at it from her own viewpoint, which is often
1: unique so yeah she's awesome we miss her
0: yeah we do come back may
1: oh and on that point and i and i'll uh, i'll bleep this out and i'll probably put a note in the uh introduction of the show but um okay. we kicked out our first person out of the facebook group and the voice you're about to hear is james being angry don't mess with our may we had someone be rude and condescending and frankly, sexist, and he was a fool, and I booted him out of there in two seconds flat. <laughs> and I'll do the same to anybody who is rude and disrespectful and condescending. We don't all have to agree at all, but our place is a place of love.
0: Yeah,
1: it's yeah. a happy, happy hobbit hole. And do you know what? It's
0: it's pretty pretty darn amazing that we've now been going for a oh, year and a half. Yeah, man. I mean, we might not have been releasing podcast episodes for a year and a half, but we've no, been but the in Facebook existence of, for... Yeah, and the community's been yeah. around for
1: that long. And yeah, yeah.
0: And, and actually, that's the only person we've had to, you know, put through the, the exit hole.
1: No, it's funny you say that. I was just thinking, I didn't actually bring it up um, because I think anybody else needs to, like, change their behaviour. I bring it up more just to show uh, the solidarity... Um, and in case anybody sort of missed it, I, wanted, I just wanted it out there that, like, if you saw that negative comment, um, that's why that member got, got booted. We didn't make a big deal of it. I, I made a little tiny comment, uh, like, there's the door uh, in the thread. But I just wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, so May knows, and people know, we got May's back. We don't, tolerate, uh, we don't tolerate that.
0: No, we don't. We look after our own. Yeah. As we would to any other, you know, of our friends in the Facebook group, wouldn't we? And we have, you know, we do call them friends now. So um, we've built up a great
1: little community. and Love it. Lo- long way to continue. Love it. Um, okay, so as we jump around here, Ads, in this choppy episode, let's, let's talk real yep. quick about some of those shouts um, that I mentioned earlier. I think it's fun okay. in, in this chapter how when you're reading through, if you've read Lord of the Rings or even just watched the movies, um, the words pop out at you, and that alone gives me interest because that, as soon as I see um, words or places or names of places that I know, I start to I start to connect and, and go, okay, so how long ago before was this? Oh, okay, so the, yeah. the, the mines were dug. Oh, so like the, the, probably the whole, in my mind, I'm like, oh, the whole landscape probably changed. Oh, it wasn't forested fully yet between there and the Great River. Oh, was the Great River even there yet? Like I start to really break down in my mind what everything looks like uh, and, and as it would change over history. And I don't know, I, I love a book that I read that does that to my mind, that engages me uh, in that way. It's oh, really well, fun. I mean I,
0: I remember when you got me when you got me to read the Silmarillion the first time and you were obviously checking in every sort of every evening as well. Yeah, that I exciting. I a that
1: vicarious read. It was
0: great. a I got to this Had bit Had I got to that bit And as I bit reading it the first of the number of messages I would send you which was is that is that going to end up being this place or is that jewel going to end up being that jewel etc cetera, etc cetera. and mm-hmm. there's all these little links there's all these little familiar names and tolkien he doesn't he doesn't elaborate on it does he, he just he just mentions it and then moves on to the next sentence it, it's
1: it's easy to it's, miss it's super it's right in front yeah. of you if you've if you've seen it a bunch of times and you can make the connections quickly and, and, but often I'll, I'll be reading through a chapter I've read several times. I'll be like, oh, that's a direct reference. Or he just told me straight up um, you know what, what that's going to become or what that gets renamed to. And, mm. um, yeah, it's just amazing. Like Kirith the the Valley of the Spider, the translation. Yes, yeah. I, I love reading this, these parts of the book that we're in now because it, it's, it all makes sense from a historical it does. You know, uh, standpoint, which makes lends the books, I don't know, more weight, more credibility, more they They become more believable because it all adds up it all lines up with the the old stories turning into the the favorite loved Lord of the Rings movies and books
0: well i mean may's mentioned this before maybe she would have sort of chimed in at this at this juncture and said something similar but Tolkien hasn't just created like this story has he he's created something that actually um it could be a reality
1: for um Certain people. Yeah, um, yeah. She but, like, yeah, she always reminds us that North mythology was was, yeah. was history until it was yes. mythology, right? I feel I absolutely had to interject and catch that slip of the tongue. Norse mythology, not North. Um, sorry, May, but in my defense, I do make a lot of mistakes.
0: these this is this is so deep in in the connections that are made it, you know it really could be really could be reality
1: um yeah well you know what while we're on that topic that's a, that's a great way to segue and bounce around somewhere else uh, okay. i told ads i wanted to bring up um, an idea and i was saving it for the end of the show cuz i was kind of hoping you know what actually before i even bring it up i'm going to i'm going to message may right now over the um I guess Palantir since we're sitting in the Hobbit hole here together.
0: I'm going to message her and
1: just see if there's any chance that she's going to be able to, uh, to walk over here from Breeland tonight. And if there is, then I'll wait. And if not, uh, yeah, I'll tell it now. And while I do that ads, uh, we, we didn't make too much mention of the fire on the way in. Um, so I, I just want to say it looks great. Uh, it's nice and warm. And uh, why don't you tell people... Yeah. Um, who maybe are new to the community? Where they can find us if they don't know about uh, some of our platforms?
0: Absolutely. Okay, so we are on Twitter. We have a have a uh, presence on Twitter, which is at the Green Door Pod. Um, but uh, you know, as touched on before, we have our main our main sort of presence uh, on Facebook. So the Green Door Podcast. If you you come and knock on the door. Come and knock on our door. Not too long after you've knocked, you'll be you'll be let in, and um, you can then join in in all the fun that's that's in there. And um, you know, people people who join quickly realize that you know it's as much their space as it is our space. You know, we might have been the people to uh, create it, but people put their own posts in and have. Yeah, their I'm going to call that themselves. the um,
1: the bread oven or the. I don't know, the combustion stove or something, that Facebook group. Because really, that's what's kept burning a slow burn yeah. Um, yeah. You know, through the, uh, through the longer pauses and, and whatever. Uh, even when we were putting out podcasts a lot, uh, really regularly, that was the place where everybody would talk about them, most anyways. Mm. And then mm. since then, that's the place where the community has really impressed me by sort of being supportive and, uh, and engaged anyway. So I, yeah, I love that place. Check out the Facebook group for sure.
0: Yeah I mean it, it's it's not a huge amount but there's it's steadily increasing we we're, we're not we're not dropping this there's some 270 odd uh, people inside that Facebook group now and you know it's closed it's a closed group so you you, you do need to sort of knock and get and get entry in um, oh, but yes. I think that the, Good the fact in. it is closed yeah the fact it is closed allows for people to just be themselves and not you know not worry about what anyone else thinks, and, and just have, have a good time.
1: Yeah, it's our own little place to sort of share common ideas. Yeah. And, the, and the thing I like about the small number is um, it keeps it sort of personal, and people are nice when, they, when everybody seems to know everybody. Cool. All right, so I sent that message to May, and I haven't heard back. So I'm going to say a word now uh, that I don't even know. I'm, I probably won't say it right, but Yante Loven. Yante um, Loven is, uh, I think it translates sort of roughly to Yante's Law. Um, have you ever heard that expression or idea before ads? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So I'm I was intrigued. struck. I was, yeah, I was struck today as I was in the shower uh, not by lightning, but by, by, I'm by an intrigued. idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write a book ads. Uh, I shouldn't say it on the air now cause someone's going to steal the title and it's, it's really all, it, there's no content needed. It's just all about the title. Um, I'm gonna write a book. Ad. It's called uh, uh, Shower Meditation. It's like the time the time I try to try to have like my like uh, my two minutes of mindfulness. You know, yeah. And I'm not good at making time this, for. it. That,
0: that's your time.
1: That's my time, uh, but all to say, when I'm when I'm in there, I try to like clear my mind, and I always end up in you know some some place in the shire or the forest or whatever. Yeah. And it it struck to, it, it dawned on me today or struck me today uh, because May made mention that we should get our next episode out um, by Hobbit Day. And because I enjoy pipeweed so much, Hobbit Day in my mind was the professor's birthday, which I do know is in January. Um, but I, I got mm. on the idea of birthdays, which brought me to Mathams, Mathems, Mathems. Mathems. Um, the idea that in the Shire, uh, when it's your birthday, you give gifts to others, right? Yes. yes. Yep. Um, so, so because it's a nice community and there's so many hobbits with birthdays, pretty much every day of the year. So, there's, a, there's a present being passed around. Um, and, and that idea, I was like, oh, that's nice. The idea that, like, your birthday's not about you. Uh, your birthday's about others. Uh, and it, it connected me. It paralleled my mind to this, this nice story I heard uh, recently uh, where someone got advice from, like, a dying loved one. And I'm going to summarize it because I don't want to make the story itself a downer, but basically the message was, You know, um, this person was told, like, your life's not about you. Your life's about your kids. Your life's about your wife. Your life's about the people you choose to spend your time with, your friends. And if you make your life about that, you know, you'll be happy. If you make your life about you, you won't. Um, And that really resonated with me, you know. Okay. And and so the idea of mathems and giving to others instead of yourself sort of was related to that. And it connected me to this thing that I heard Uh, years ago. I I, might have been watching... um, Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. Oh, a travel show, or... I'm not sure. Um, Yeah. But I heard the word jante loven, which is um, a word in Norway, and really, for most Scandinavians, an idea. Uh, It's a way of behaving. And it's sort of the opposite of capitalism. It's the idea that, like, uh, as a society, you value your values and priorities lie in the group. So you don't value personal gain and wealth. You don't value amassing wealth. You yeah. value someone who has the wealth enough to help or, like, that spreads his wealth by sharing, right? That's, that's something is, that's seen in society as more valuable, okay? It, 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 comes, yeah. from a, like, it comes from a, a story. I looked it up briefly, and I don't, I'm not an expert, so I'm going to give you, like, the Google Wikipedia version. I'll share with you now something I found, um, written by David Nickel N-I-K-E-L, and uh, it describes, I think, pretty well, uh, a good summary of what Jante Lovin is, and it goes on to say, or, or starts by listing some of the rules of Yanteloven, uh, and it's really quite interesting. Um, it says, the term Jante Lovin can be tracked back to Axel Sandemos. A Danish turned Norwegian author Whose works of fiction include references to these Quote-unquote laws in the context of small town Denmark You're not to think you're anything special You're not to think you're as good as we are You're not to think you're smarter than we are You're not to convince yourself you are better than we are You are not to think you know more than we do You are not to think you are more important than we are You are not to think you are good at anything You are not to laugh at us You are not to think anyone cares about you You are not to think you can teach us anything in the books um, that Sandamos or Sandamosi um, wrote, Yante is the small town where the main character grew up. Uh, the resulting Yante Lovin is an expression of the small town's tyrannical pressure on the individual. Uh, but the author went on to argue that Yante Lovin has its validity everywhere. Uh, he was seeking to capture something that already existed in society. Um, this is to suggest uh, this way of living is deeply ingrained within Scandinavians and passed down through generations. Uh, although not explicitly taught, these societal expectations are reflected in many children's books and, and songs." Um, so yeah, apparently it's, it's, it's like ingrained in the culture that you're not supposed to be boastful or show off or extravagant. Uh, and these things are, are frowned upon in society, which is interesting. And right. so society behaves very differently, right? Like, Scandinavians, for example, have amazing social programs, which yes. really aligns itself with this idea, right? That, okay. yeah, that yeah. taking care of others is is more of a priority, is more seen as more honorable, valuable um, as a trait in society than uh, capitalism. So, like, it, it it occurred to me that... Tolkien is well-read and loves uh, Norse mythology and and that whole idea. He must, of course, have been aware of this concept. And I'm wondering if, like, he valued that idea enough to purposefully imbue it on hobbits, who basically are this, like, little (laughs) race who are, like, really backwards, you know, in the big scheme of things, but they're really the only ones who can get the job done because they've got this, like, imbued goodness, this imbued wholesomeness. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering if like the Sam the that, Sam it, yeah, exactly. The uh, yeah, and it's not every you know. Of course, there's there's anecdotes and there's individuals in, in Hobbiton. But I just I just wonder if that like philosophy was purposefully, um, you know, put on them uh, through the idea of mathems, and if he thought that was like, I, I wonder if Tolkien himself. I love that. that was no, an I love it. Value. I, I, yeah, I know. I, I love
0: that idea. It's um... Yeah. Because it's so important, isn't it? When I mean, when you think of the fellowship, you think of the you know the, the people who were chosen for for the important task of, of destroying the ring, and how how you know your warriors, your your strong, um, you, you know your good fighters, your your um, wise you know wizards, etc. But actually, the most important person on that on that quest to help Frodo was actually Sam. And that was because he was so good, you know, that the corruption of the ring couldn't couldn't touch him. Um, Leading all the way back to, you know, what you were saying about how hobbits, uh, you know, have that ethos.
1: So, yeah, I don't know, probably probably something that uh, um, has either been discussed in much better detail by people who know a lot more about it. So I'd love to hear Tanya say, oh, no, of course, you just have to look up this letter where he mentioned specifically that Jante Loven was the, you know, or whatever whatever it is. It's, pro- <laughs> it's probably out there. And, and if it's not Tanya or Jeff or Sean or, you know, someone um, in our group who's really, really bright, um, I'd love to know. I'd love to know if, if, uh, if there's something out there. Because to me, it just seemed like there's probably some sort of link uh, to the idea. And with his background, um, yeah, I just I can't imagine that... that that connection it it, is not it real.
0: certainly, yeah, it certainly would not surprise me to find that there is some kind of some kind of connection there.
1: Yeah, and the idea is interesting, and and apparently yeah, there's, there's like an, ant, an anti-Yanteloven like movement in uh, the country itself. Apparently, millennials and specifically like uh, entrepreneurs uh, yeah. think that the idea is holding the country back on a global scale. Which it probably is, like you know, capitalism uh, doesn't f- jive and align itself very well with that, with that uh, value or that theology, right? Yeah, no, no, ideology. I can abs.
0: I can absolutely see why. You wanted May to be here because May would have been able to say something far
1: yeah. more intellectual,
0: the, the far more intellectual than I've been able to to chuck back your way. But um, I think it's a great idea, and. Regardless of whether May makes it or not, I'm looking forward to seeing what she says about it when she listens.
1: Yeah, she will definitely uh, pipe in, and you know what? Maybe, I'll, maybe if possible, I'll get her to record a little a little blurb and yeah. plug it in. And if I can't do that, then we'll we'll discuss it in the Facebook group openly.
0: Good idea. Yeah, man. How about comparing um, our our friendly elves over in Valinor to the Sindar and Specifically to the types of residents that they that they take their uh, you know take their place at. So we know that Fingol asked the dwarves for help um, to basically strengthen his position. Melian Melian has foresight and sees that actually that the um the good times are not gonna last forever. So yep. she counsels Thingol and warns him of, you know, the impending risks. To what extent we don't actually know. You know, we never are party to, to the detail, but he certainly is aware that, you know, the the peaceful times are gonna come to an end at some point. Um and so the weapons start to pile up on the floor, um and they don't. They don't continue to live in the open, you know, under the trees. They actually strengthen their position. And Menegroth uh, is built, otherwise known as the Thousand Caves, by the dwarves. And I think it's quite a nice irony that they live in Menegroth, dwarf-like underground um, defence positions, etc. Whereas the elves over in Valinor they live in tuna which is basically on top of a big hill so you've got one <laughs> one group of elves that are living out in the open not in fear of anything and menagroth is you
1: know
0: in a big cave
1: it's it, it's a really interesting um, point you make because it's it's uh, it's like the idea of that one one is um, maybe getting soft and one is staying hard, you know more hardened to the world one yeah. is over time. Um, and there's a lot of skill and knowledge being shared, right? Um, in tuna. Uh, sorry, that's a mistake. It should be on tuna in Tyrion words matter, uh, especially these words. So sorry about that. However, yes. there's a lot of real world experience being acquired, um, over in Menagroth Like you said, it's sort of, uh, an opposite, <laughs> um, place to live, below ground, well-guarded, safe, uh, you know, and, and preparing for, for impending doom. Whereas in Tuna, they were like, don't, la, 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 this is nice here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big bad guy. <laughs> so, yeah, real world experience versus, um, versus like they're at university almost in, uh, in Valinor. You know, it's like uh, everything's roses and sunshine and then the real mm. world's waiting for them.
0: Yeah, and there's an also there's a there's a nice um, yeah, there's a nice little point that that Thingol he's actually one of the uh, the Calaquendi, isn't he? He's a, he's actually seen the trees. He's, he's an elf of the light, but he himself rules over uh, the Moraquendi, so elves of the darkness. You know, the elves that actually never made it across the seas. You know, to see the light of the trees, and um, even though. That group of elves are, in theory, elves of the darkness. They end up, because of the fact they're governed by Thingol, because they have the benefit of Melian as well, mm-hmm. they, as, as the book says, they become the fairest, most wise, and most skillful of all of the elves of Middle-earth. So even without being able to experience the beauty, the majesty of the trees um, over in Valinor... They, they still
1: achieve greatness. Absolutely. And, you know, the greatest of the greatness. To be, um, to be Morgoth's advocate for a second, though, um, some of the elves uh, never come back. So it's not the greatest elves. And, no. hey, Jeff, the, the word greatest again. Greatest elves of Middle-earth, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Um, you know, which, which elves are greatest overall? Uh, you know, that's a debatable thing. Greatest at, what, knowledge? Greatest at war? Greatest at defending a territory? It's that You know, that's debatable, mm. I guess. But, yeah, no, it, yeah. it is a good point. And I think, for me, I like the idea that, like, real world sort of, you know, street smarts, if, if that's a way to look at it. I like the idea that staying behind, um, you know, gave them a, an edge or a toughness or a, a different route to becoming really badass. Mm.
0: And we see the orcs, don't we? We see we see the first sort of signs of of the bad guys over in Middle Earth in this chapter.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because like when he describes um, the dwarves in this chapter, he says uh, they were you know warlike, and I thought to myself like, well, who are they having wars with? And and Mm. you know the next couple sentences say you know because because they're really good at fighting off fell beasts, and, and they fight each other sometimes. And it and does say there is some mention of who they could be fighting, but, like, to be warlike as a trait for, an, you know, a first generation of... of I thought that was interesting. Uh, but then we hear, you know, these hosts and hosts and hosts of orcs are attacking. And I, I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe there was more defending of, of from orcs and other things than than I really realized at first. And like you said earlier, they were really quite explorative, right? They were really checking everything out. Uh, So they probably ran into a lot more trouble. um, Did the dwarves than the the elves uh, that we've heard about so far did, right?
0: So, yeah, I mean, so do you think then? Because the book actually says that when the dwarves arrived, you know, they surprised the elves. The elves had no idea that these stunted people, as they so beautifully described them, um, that they existed. You know, they did not know. But do you think the dwarves knew the elves were there? Had had someone
1: like Ole briefed them beforehand? I would think they might know. They might know from... That's a good question. Maybe Ole, maybe even Orome, who who also gets mentioned and says, you know, he's still yeah. scouting around from time to time. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. So someone, Tanya? Jeff? Sean? Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. My, my gut would be that uh, they knew. For some reason, I think they knew. The dwarves knew that the elves were... Uh, existed, and maybe, maybe we're seeking them out.
0: Because I suppose the dwarves would have known, wouldn't they, that elves of sorts existed. Maybe not Thingol and and his little uh, gang, but as the sundering of the elves took place, you know, elves would have sort of been scattered across, across Middle-earth, and some would have gone to the places that the dwarves obviously built their great cities, etc. So, to me... I don't read that as the dwarves were surprised to see the elves. The dwarves came looking for.
1: Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with but you. Um, someone, someone's probably going to be like, "Guys, re-listen to episode three. You spoke specifically about this." Um, I feel, <laughs> I feel like maybe it's in, it's in my brain somewhere, but it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. It's going to happen. Um, yeah.
1: Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I, I found it interesting. As,
0: yeah, go ahead. I found it interesting as well that they they, they speak about communication difficulties, don't they? Because when they first meet, neither knows the other's language.
1: So you know what it I? It's so, adds you and I are always on the same page. I thought to myself, I'm like, interesting because they they say you know they, they didn't realize there were others who will I think you know walk on two feet and speak, right? But if they didn't speak the same language, why wasn't it any different than like I don't know a flamingo? Oh, James, you know, it was just grunts and sounds um, that they didn't recognize. Why is that different than a chimpanzee or a? I don't know any, any other animal that you know walks around and a, a gri- grizzly bear. I guess because they recognize the, the. I say things sometimes, ads, and as I'm saying it, I, I'm my own devil's advocate in my mind, saying, "Well, for this obvious reason, dummy. I mean, this, I guess there's an obvious difference between intelligent language and conversation and a bear roaring at you." Oh no! Did we lose you? Have we lost each other? I hm. no wonder you let me ramble so long, ads well we had some podcasting goblins get into the gear at the old hobbit hole so uh, here's our best patchwork okay so I don't know where, where you lost me but I was rambling on about a bear and, and dialogue I'm going to leave some of it in if I can it's actually pretty funny because I didn't know you weren't there and you know yeah. when you're trying to carry a conversation with someone and you think that they're on the other end just not responding because you've lost their interest?
0: Yeah.
1: So I, I, really, I really rambled on there. was pretty funny. I'll, oh, I'll that's that good. Definitely keep that in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, okay, so uh, I think basically ads, um, we, we're, we're um, sitting here by the fire and I'm wondering if we pour ourselves uh, a nightcap and uh, check out our last ideas and sign off. What do you think, buddy?
0: Yeah, I agree. I could do with a drink. So uh, what have you got in mind?
1: Uh, Well, for myself and uh, to anybody out there, um, I don't really keep this a secret. I'm uh, two and a half years sober. So uh, I'm going to have... Hey, thank you. No, Uh, very very well done. uh, You know what? It was really hard uh, at first, but now that uh, it's been a long time, it's still really hard. So thank you. No, I I think every admiration for, for you, buddy,
0: to, you know... To be open about it as well, and um, I think I
1: think uh, you you are doing a great job. I appreciate it. Uh, you know what? I applaud those who uh, can have a nice, fun relationship with the bottle. Uh, my relationship with it was unhealthy, and so now I'm a lot healthier. So, yeah, I don't mind saying that on the air. In fact, it's something I wanted to bring up because maybe there's someone who listens who can relate. And if you want to talk about it, uh, or just you know give each other a high five because we're doing good hey, man, yeah. or hey, you, awesome. Um, and, yeah, and if uh, you, you do enjoy the bottle, which I used to a lot, and you want to have a nightcap, um, by all means. Uh, Ads, can I pour some, a couple of fingers of something for you, sir?
0: Well, how about uh, chuck a little bit of whiskey my way, and um, that will keep me, keep me warm as well inside, and uh, you can pour whatever you want for yourself.
1: That's perfect. I'll have a tea, and I'll be warm inside too. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll say goodbye. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say goodbye to the people out of order that uh, you should know about and listen to if you like uh, anything, Lord of the Rings or Silmarillion or Tolkien. Uh, you should know about Olga and her blog. That's Olga Polishmova, and her blog is Middle Earth Reflections, all one word, middleearthreflections.com. It's awesome. You should know about Jeff Lasala at tor.com. All of Jeff's stuff is amazing, but his Silmarillion Primer is absolutely a must-read for any uh, reader of the Silmarillion, uh, first-timer or seasoned veteran alike. There's something in it for everyone. He is passionate. He is hilarious. Uh, we consider him a friend of the show and just a friend. Uh, so definitely, definitely go check him out. We can't say enough nice or good things about Jeff Lasala and his Silmarillion Primer over at Tor.com. Uh, hello to Pepper And, of course, hello to Caitlin, our ring bearers. Uh, Hello to our friends at the Tumbling Sabre. Corey and Kyle and Carlos and the gang. Uh, You guys are super awesome. And anybody who loves Star Wars should check you out. And, of course, uh, never least uh, but saved for last, uh, the Prancing Pony podcast. Uh, If you haven't checked them out, and I'm sure if you found us, you, you found them first and you've heard us say their names before. Uh, But go check out the guys at the Prancing Pony Podcast. They are uh, so much fun. They are so informative. uh, And they do such an incredible job, a professional job, at putting out a quality uh, show week after week, on schedule, on time, uh, chocked full of goodness. So uh, way to go, Alan and Sean. Uh, Keep up the incredible job, guys. (laughs) <laughs> um but yeah there you go so you have your, your whiskey and, and i'll uh, dive into the to some more leaf and uh, and we'll close it with those ideas adds say, say hi to your family for me they're, they're looking beautiful you celebrated some birthdays lately and sophie looks like she's um basically taking care of four amazing children all the time so hi sophie
0: <laughs> four is that me as well <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: um <laughs> No, uh, massive thanks to my wonderful wife, Soph, uh, and my three amazing children, Charlie, Sebastian and Martha. Uh, You've kept me very entertained uh, over the summer and I suspect that will continue in the autumn and the winter and the spring.
1: Awesome. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, I feel like I'm getting uh, to know you even though I've never met uh, anyone face-to-face. I love Facebook and social <laughs> platforms for that. So, hi, my guys. Uh, hello as well, Eleanor, Caleb, and Oliver. Uh, Caleb, who started school. We're, we're really uh, we're rocking and rolling here too. So the kids are a big part of it. And my lovely wife, M Marie-France. Uh, thanks for putting up with uh, my editing and my schedule and my recording in the basement while you manage the monkeys upstairs.
0: <laughs> I will second I that, I mean, that. It's as too well. quiet. i have got to be
1: outside right now. The joys of life.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, mate, it's been. I'd- It's been an absolute pleasure, I have
1: to say. Yeah, wonderful. I've I've really enjoyed it. Awesome time with you all. Um, Are we ready for our sign-outs? Yeah, I think so. I I had a really good time. I'm really glad we did it. I hope everybody who listened along um, enjoyed the conversation. And we're going to uh, figure out how to put out more episodes. You've heard it before, but uh, it is something that's important to us. And we appreciate all of you. Yeah. So uh, with with that said, I'm going to leave it uh, to ads. Go ahead. Okay. So look out for us especially at unlikely times. Good night, dear hobbits. And I'm James reminding you, keep your feet and happy wandering, everybody. It. It'll come to I'm me. To write it down. It'll, it'll no, come no, to me as he says uh, his, and I'm like. I, I I'll know. say the first. I'll say the first one. Good night. Keep. Wandering. Your. Keep, keep your feet. feet and happy wandering. There we go. Yeah. Shit. I nailed something it. Like that. Okay. I nailed it. Yes, I nailed it. <laughs> Should I say one again? Um, you can. I'll use the better one. How's that?
0: Okay. Fine. Well, as James says, it's been. It's been great fun getting back, chatting to James. Uh, Hopefully next time it'll be the three of us, you know, May back as well. But that's us for tonight. And so look out for us, especially at unlikely times. Good night, dear hobbits.
1: really hard. I was trying to stay away from the mic, and I just couldn't stop laughing before you cue me up. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta write it down. I gotta write it down.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> you, keep your feet. <clears throat> Good night. <laughs> keep your feet. Don't forget to keep your feet and happy wandering. Keep your feet. I am sorry, ads. You don't even have to cue me up again. I'll just I'll just get it here. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> <clears throat> Well, typically, I've uh, put things like that at the end of episodes, little excerpts or extracts or bloopers. Tonight, I find myself with a big chunk of uh, audio that I threw on the cutting room floor uh, as I've been cutting this episode together for weeks. Uh, We we recorded it in mid-September. And I'm going to now just Tape something to the end without any sound effects or fire. That's just a conversation about uh, my dog, Patch. Strangely, uh, the timing of me completing this episode, uh, November 1st, is the day I put down my family pet. And I don't want to make too big of a sobby messy deal of it which will happen to me if I talk about it for too long but he was loved and special and a part of our family and he'll be missed so uh, here's something that would have been cut any other episode but uh, a little story about my buddy Patch uh, camping with us this summer thanks guys Yeah, we got sprayed by a skunk on the camping trip. Yeah, my son, my son, my son fell in that, love with uh, with golf, which is great. That can't have been fun. I mean, we don't have skunks over this way, so this is all really? kind of new to us. Yeah. Okay, so imagine um, sticking your nose into uh, a bottle or you know a gallon jug of ammonia. Ouch! It's that kind of powerful stench, but just okay. but just amplify that with urine. So it's like it's like ammonia urine. I, I, can't, I can't emphasize the pungency of it enough, though. If, and, if, and if you think you know what ammonia smells like, remind yourself by just... And don't take a big whiff, because you can actually really hurt yourself. But just, you know, smell the cap from far away. Um, yeah, it's really that powerful and pungent.
0: And was it was this was
1: this certain
0: stu- uh, skunk discovered by your dog,
1: by memory? Oh, you know what? It's worth telling, so yeah, why not? Anybody who's still listening now likes rambly tidbits. Uh, I was camping with my... Um, which I didn't have the youngest one. So I had my five-year-old and my seven-year-old, and we were at a provincial park campground, which basically, it's not really camping. You sort of take all your stuff that you need in your minivan, and yeah. then you park your minivan on a, on a cut clearing that they cut out of the trees, and there's like a bathroom not too far away, and there's a pump to get water. They call it camping. But it's a nice <laughs> way to spend time with your kids. There's a beach, and there's a you know, playground, and there's great. hiking trails. It's wonderful. And if you're smart, you bring your dog and you, and you tie him up. And if you're really smart, you tie him up securely to something that can uh, hold against a 50-pound dog chasing an animal.
0: And don't, and are, are, you, are you
1: smart or really smart? So not, <laughs> what you don't do is what I did and secure him up, thinking like, I'll just tap this tent peg into the ground lightly and that'll stop him from wandering off in the night. Okay. Which is really all, it hadn't occurred to me. That he would go bolting off after something, and so, and, and this is in the like vestibule of my tent, which is sort of uh, uh, an extra compartment that's that's covered by the the rain shelter part. It's not really yeah. in the tent; it's outside the zipper, but it's covered by rain. So I I just tapped a, a tent peg in and you know tied him tied his leash there, and he <laughs> was sleeping you know on the other side of the screen, and everybody was happy until until I heard like <laughs> like bark 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 yip yip yip, and then. My daughter tells the story great because she, she came home and she told my wife, like, oh, my goodness, Mom, it was, it was awful. We woke up this morning and Daddy was like this. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> do you smell that? Ellie, do you smell that? Caleb? Uh-oh. Oh, no. And, and she's right. That's exact. I, I, I woke up from my sleep to the noise and it hit my nose and I thought, like, like um, oh, how strong is it? How close is it? Did it hit the tent? Did it hit the dog? Did we get hit? Like it was just so strong and right So is it is it something that happened, then I mean
0: if it hit the say it hits the tent, is that is that the tent gone? Is that burn the tent, buy a new one? Or <laughs>
1: can can you wash it? Is it You can save it, but it's, it would be a process because the tent tent is a specific one. Like if it hits clothes and stuff, like you just wash it in enzymes and wash it enough times, it probably comes out eventually. Yeah. Um, but a tent it's like waterproof and you don't want to wash it with soap because then you gotta like re reseal it with some sort of like wax silicon. Uh, it's a process. So getting your tent hit is a pain in the ass, and it's, it's almost for some people, depending on what kind of tent it is. If you paid like, you know, a little or a lot, you you may just buy a new tent, or it may be worth wash, you know, really cleaning. But it's a it's a real process. Luckily for me, it it didn't get the tent uh, at all. It got the dog a lot, and it was four in the morning, so we had quite the adventure. Poor dog. Oh yes, poor. I, yeah, absolutely. I have to I have to admit, like as much as I was annoyed, you got the dog took it right in the face, and it's, it smells bad and it burns and. And, you know, their senses are... They have more more nerves and senses or whatever it is in their nose than we do, I'm sure, that hyper hypersense of smell. So I think he was really unhappy for a while.
0: Do you reckon, Hobbit, pack the kids. Do you reckon Hobbits have to do with skunks?
1: Mm, yeah, there's a lot of New World things in Hobbiton. Potatoes, yeah. tomatoes. Um, yeah, I think they, they probably had skunks. <laughs> I think they definitely had skunks, even. But, yeah, so I had to pack the kids. It was 4 in the morning, right? So I had to pack the kids in the car.
0: At 4 in the morning?
1: Well, I... I so here's me, that's, what, that's, a, that's a good you know, uh, question. I should have asked you what you would do or I should have asked other people before I tell them uh, because I was really wondering, I scratched my head sort of going like, okay, this stinks, now what? But it was only a half an hour away. So, and this might not have been the best thing to do, but it's what I did. I tied the dog to um, a tent peg that I drove in like, it wasn't even a tent peg, it was like a piece of rebar that I had. Yeah. I, I drove him in a real stake um, and I secured him and took the kids home and got a bottle of... We have a big jug of, like, skunk-out enzyme wash cleaner that works really well, better than any of the old wives' tales or home concoctions. I've tried oh, them all.
0: I remember seeing a post about this. I remember, yeah. I remember reading your post about it, and, yeah,
1: it sounded like you knew what you were doing. I've had dogs, several dogs. This one, it wasn't his first spray, and my other dog used to get it, you know, a couple times a year. So I know what I'm doing. I came home to get yeah. that, and I left the kids here because M was home uh, with the bait, with uh, Oliver, I went back with the stuff and washed him, um, you know, a, a few times, brought him down to the lake, washed him again, mm-hmm. and uh, we brought him home that night after he dried out and sort of was smelling, I'd say, 85% less. <laughs> and she and she brought the kids back after <laughs> after lunch. Well, And what else are you going to do? You know, well, and I felt bad. I left him alone there. Like, not I, 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 I didn't really feel bad for him, but I do wonder uh, if he howled or barked, because it was like four in the morning, and then the neighbor campers were like, this... this Dog, home, you know, I, I did feel badly. But what, what could you do, surely, with the kids? I it guess was, I could have put him, him in my right car. Thing. I just, I refused to put him in my car, smelling fully covered like that, because he would have rubbed it on every, the whole... It, so I i, assume, I'll I assume get my letter scunk, from the animal lovers. The skunk was long maybe, gone.
0: The skunk was long gone. skunk has gone. He's not sort of stood there.
1: Oh, no, He's, you he, he got his spray out and, and took off the other way, and my dog, you know, does, doesn't want to, to see him for at least another two weeks until he forgets.
0: Just, just this is all Canadian problems that us, us Brits just do not have to contend with.
1: It was quite the, uh, quite the scene. But it, it's a funny story now. I, or at least I think it's funny. Anybody who's still listening can let me know. <laughs> wow. What's the, uh, what's the,
0: the, rule then? What, what have you learned from this? Um, Put a bigger stake camping. in the
1: ground. Don't go camping. Nature's, <laughs> nature's bad.
0: <laughs> uh stuff. yeah
1: no stake the dog up uh stake the dog up solid probably most of the thing would have been avoided he might have barked at this skunk the skunk may have even sprayed in his direction but uh, i don't think he would have got hit if he was staked in securely my bad sorry patch <laughs> Li- you know live and learn exactly exactly
0: and uh i'm sure patch would still go off and Sniff out. Or he'll
1: chase another one, and it will yeah. happen again. and it, it won't be because of that. I'll, I'll have learned that lesson, but I'll, I'll forget something else. And he loves uh, chasing things, so it's just inevitable. Well, it won't happen again, but uh, that's okay. That's a good thing. Uh, thanks for indulging the story, everyone, and good night.